Mac Power Users, episode 373, The Solo IT Department. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie? I'm great, David. I'm somewhere in Europe right now as we're recording this. Yeah, uh, on the road. Yeah. The magic of technology, though, Europe looks a lot like my spare bedroom. Yeah. And it feels almost like you're time traveling, doesn't it? You know, a little bit. So a little bit. We are uh, we're pre-recording a few a few of these shows so that Mac Power user listeners never, never miss an episode. You can't have that. In fact, ironically, while you are in Europe, I will be in Orlando, Florida. So <laughs> we planned that really well, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but today we are here to be talking about uh, an issue that all uh, loyal Mac Power Users listeners have faced is how much do you want to become the IT department in your world? Do we have a choice, really? Because we do. We do. That's what we're, we're going to talk about that today. All right. I mean, most people, most people listen to the show uh, are the IT department for their friends and family and maybe even their work uh, around them. Yeah. And maybe it's your your own job, whether it's you're a, a, a solo, whether you're um, working as part of a small business, whether you own your own business. And then sometimes you kind people just find out that that, you know, a little something about this technology stuff. And then you just end up being the guy or the girl in the office that everybody comes to with their technology problems. And in addition to doing your own job, you you kind of become de facto IT. It happens. And I think for folks that listen to this show, it's probably happening to a lot of them. And we thought it would be uh, worthwhile to take a moment to talk about that, you know, what it means. How do you fall into that trap? Do you want to fall into that trap? <laughs> and uh, you if, you do, if you do, if you are the happy parachutist coming in to save the day, what are some tools, uh, software and, and other things that you should have on your tool belt to help do that job? Your utility belt, like Batman. Yeah, like Batman. Although, you know, I, I've always felt like the original Batman was the Jedi because they, they wore belts with stuff on them, too. I mean, they can breathe underwater with things on their belt. These guys have got a lot of stuff they're carrying around. Yeah, it's a big belt. Okay, so being the solo IT department, um, uh, have you ever fell, fallen into that, Katie? Just once or twice? Oh, how about every day? Uh -huh. Yeah. All the time, every day? And, you know, it's... um it. It can be a necessity. It can also be a thankless job. And I think that's something we, we want to talk about and maybe a reason that you, you might not want to become the solo IT department. You know, people come to you all the time with, uh, with all of their problems. And one of the things that I struggle with is um, sometimes I find that people are angry with me when their technology doesn't work. I just sometimes I and sometimes I feel like I'm the one who has to be defensive about why their technology doesn't work. Like, you know, my my iCloud, I'm always constantly my, th this weekend was a, a prime example. Um, you know, my dad was complaining to me fairly aggressively about the fact that on his iPhone, it keeps popping up and asking him all the time to enter his Apple ID and password. And because he's my father, somebody insisted that he have a fairly complex Apple ID and password. And it's really, really annoying. And the way that he was complaining about this is like, somehow this is my fault. And there should be somebody that I can call to fix that. You know, I find fun. there's a member of my family who just likes to He's a rabble rouser, I guess, for lack of a better word. And 
for some reason, every time there's any negative press about Apple whatsoever, he can't wait to see me at the next family event. Oh, I heard Apple was, you know, having trouble with this or, you know, or trouble with this or the privacy stuff last year. It's like, it, it just cracks me up how people sometimes want to identify you with the company so strongly that, that they want to drop everything on your back. Yeah. And, and do people understand that, you know, we, we don't work for Apple and um, nobody takes our phone calls. Well, one of the things I'm going to recommend later in the show is I don't really recommend people buy a certain uh, brand of product generally. I mean, I just don't, especially when it comes to hardware, because it's such a personal thing. Um, the, the other thing that can happen is that, you know, people just tend to de facto expect me to know about their technology or, or, or to fix their technology. And I don't know if you run into the situations, too, where, oh, well, K- Katie just manages all my stuff. K- Katie knows what my passwords are. Katie knows how to make my Instagram account work. Or, you know, Katie's got my backup covered. And, you know, maybe if I don't or if something breaks, I'm the one who's got to fix it. Or if something happens, you know, and the data is not backed up, that becomes my fault. Or I've got to figure out a way around this. And, I don't know that I necessarily signed up for that. Yeah, exactly. I I was just talking to a listener of the show recently who is an IT guy. He he does IT for some companies and he was getting them all in one password, but was finding that they were having trouble managing it, not because it's hard to manage, but because nobody just wanted to bother. And it got to the point where they've got these company or these family accounts set up and they just included my client or my friend that I was talking to um, as a person in their one password group. So now he's a member of all these different groups where he's helping them manage their passwords and he's getting paid for it. So maybe that's okay, but you can see where this is going, right? I mean, you fall into this stuff. I mean, how many passwords are you storing for members of your family right now? Or how many people are you storing passwords for? Are you asking me, do you want a number? Yeah. I I mean, I, I think at least I mean, I don't have all of their passwords, but I've got a handful of critical passwords for probably a half dozen people. Yeah, me too. At my old firm, when I was, you know, working for the man, I, I, because nobody could ever remember the passwords, I kept them all in one password. And then when I resigned, I, I printed them all out and I gave them to, you know, the folks in charge and said, here they are. I did the same thing. And I said, by the way, please, please change these. You need to make sure that your IT department changes these because I don't want to know what your passwords are. Yeah. And, and I deleted them, you know, and then I did too. Called, I got a call later. Hey, uh, could you help us out? I'm like, nope, I can't. I don't have anything. You, you're on your own, baby. <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, so that's the kind of stuff you're walking into um, when you become the, uh, the de facto solo IT department is people will have expectations for you. And uh, if things go wrong, sometimes they want to blame you for it. And, uh, and and the other part of it that you you hear, and I'm sure everybody listening to this has has their own stories to tell, but a lot of times it has nothing to do it has some you know nothing to do with the advice you gave them. It may be entirely maybe they're using really old hardware and they just refuse to update the operating system, and now they've got this problem and they want you to solve it for them. Yeah, and so I think I think that kind of goes into our next topic of I think it's important that if you are going to become the IT department. Whether it's and and when we when we use this term, if you're going to become the IT department, we mean that both in for your family, for your business, or for whoever. Um, I, I think it's important to set boundaries. How available are you going to be to solve problems, and how do you set those boundaries up front? I mean, I can tell you probably every major holiday that I can go back for the last several years. 
I have spent a significant part of that holiday fixing somebody's IT problem. Um, you know, whether it was the Christmas that I was, you know, replacing somebody's hard drive or last Christmas, it was a complete erase and reinstall of the Apple Watch while everybody was opening presents. And I, I mean, you know, just because your family's here and they bring their problems with them. And, you know, sometimes that's the only time that you see people. I, where are the boundaries with that? Yeah. And I, I think so long as you you communicate that, you're fine. I, I'm like you do that often, too, with family gatherings, but I try to keep it to a minimum. And Sometimes I'll just tell them no, I can't right now. This is gonna this this problem is too big. Uh, I had a um a family gathering where somebody had disc problems with an older MacBook, and I said that I can't solve this for you today. If you want to come visit me, I'll cook you dinner. I'll send you an Amazon link for the the new hard drive and uh, and show up with that, and I'll replace it for you. But that's gonna that's like a whole day thing. It sounds like they should cook you dinner. Yeah, but you know, when someone comes to your house, you got to cook them dinner. They come to your house and you'd be like, you give me the MacBook and then there's my kitchen. Yeah, I guess, man. There you go. You're tough, Katie. I know. That's that's about setting setting boundaries. If you if you came to my house, I would cook you dinner. You know, Alice, this brings an interesting point. Alice and Sheridan, I went over to her house and I ended up cooking her dinner one night. Uh, See, I would cook you dinner. I would cook it for you. I think they enjoyed it, so. All right, so so be careful of that. Uh, go into it. I, I think telling people if they're going to help, if they want you to help them out, I think setting boundaries not only about what your time available is. I think your expertise is another thing. I am um, like I don't when people say, "Oh, I got a," they know I'm geeky, and they're like, "Oh, I got this new Windows install, and I can't figure it out." I'm like, "I don't do Windows. Don't know anything about it. Can't help you." And it's really a nice thing. Same thing with Android. My mother-in-law um, got a, an Android phone, and I used to always fix her stuff for her, but she brought it over. And I'm like, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know anything about Android. And and not just other software platforms that you don't support, but but how about ancient platforms of your own? Like, I've, I've got a few family members that absolutely refuse to upgrade, you know, and, and I'll just say it, they're cheap, you know, so they're, they're still running Snow Leopard. They're still running... Um, I work. Is it I work? Sure. Ancient software, ancient hardware. Yeah, and I'm like, I I can't help you with this anymore. You're or or they're still running my favorite Adobe Creative Cloud two or no Adobe Creative Suite two because they don't want to you know upgrade for Creative Cloud. Yeah, yeah they don't want to upgrade to Creative Cloud. I'm like, I I can't help you with this. I can't make you know this 15 year old scanner work with with this machine. You're you're going to have to do something with it, and and somehow that becomes my fault. Yeah, it's got the big old cable, like, you know. Scuzzy, yeah. 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 But the it is, a th- you know, a testament to Apple is a lot of this old stuff still works. So that's why they still have it. And if it's getting the job done, I, I don't begrudge them. But please don't have me try to fix this ancient stuff for you. I um, I you know, everybody, like I said, it's just crazy. The stuff you get. Now, you uh, are you still active in the Apple user group in your community? No, the Apple user group finally disbanded at the end of the year oh. last year. Yep, it's time had run. Because uh, I was thinking that's where you would have a lot of uh, time dealing with legacy hardware. Because my experience on Apple user groups is there, there's people in there that are, man, they are just like rocking some really old hardware, some of those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that was one of the the reasons is there was honestly there was a a lot of time and effort that was being put in by a, a very small select group of people to support you know a, another group of people who you know we were just pulling and pulling along. So, all right. So setting boundaries. You set boundaries about your time. You set boundaries about the hardware. Um, anything I'm missing there? Well, I think you just need to figure out if what 
when you what is an ongoing support role that you're going to play? I mean, if if you help somebody set up a new Mac, do you then own that Mac? I, I know you don't own it, but do you own that Mac for problem purposes? Is it is it your responsibility to take on an ongoing support role? If you help somebody buy a new iPad, is that iPad now your problem for all of eternity? And so I think you need to think about that, um, you know, before you step into this is, you know, what what is your role going to be here? Yeah. And then I, I have an agent for this. My My wife is my tech support agent. She's always finding jobs for me. Oh, I thought you were going to say she was going to negotiate jobs for you. Like, you know, David, don't do that. Well, if she negotiates them really well. Then the, the negotiation is it's free. And here's my husband. <laughs> and the, uh, so sometimes we have strangers show up with stuff that need help. I, I told her, actually, you know, you got to give me a little bit of a break on this stuff. So now it's getting more of if someone needs help picking out something to buy, I'll, I'll give them a hand. But I can't just like repair hard drives for people I don't know. But but Katie's right. I mean, you got to find your your happy point with the stuff because it can take over your life. Also, just like the types of jobs you do. I mean, like replacing the hard drive on an, an older MacBook is no problem. I can do that in my sleep because they were made to have a replaceable hard drive. Anything that's been made in the last several years has got this, you know, welded on SD drive. Um, you know, it's just, I'm not going to touch that. I'm not even going to try. I'm sure there's some direction somewhere on the internet, but I'm not willing to do that. So figure out where your limits are that way too. Well, and I will tell you for that reason, I have pretty much stopped doing hardware upgrades and hardware changes for people unless they're like an absolute immediate family. And unless I can have a frank conversation with them to say that you are putting this in my hands as a last resort and you understand that I may destroy this and that's okay. Yeah, it may it may never come out of surgery, you know. <laughs> so just because stuff happens. I mean, even if it's a hard grade a hard drive upgrade that you've done a dozen times, you know, it could be that one time where you drop something, or it could be that one time where the cat jumps on the table, or it could be that one time where any of a number of things happen, and you know, static electricity and something gets zapped, and all of a sudden it doesn't work again. And from you know, even though you had the best of intentions, you didn't necessarily do anything wrong from the other person's perspective. They gave you your this computer and it maybe it worked when they gave it to you, um, but now you've given them back a brick. And so that's your fault. I think another piece of this is just looking at your own personality. I, I actually like helping people and I don't mind. I Like I said, at the family events or even like friends and sometimes my wife's friends who I've never met, I'll sit down and help them get started. I, I remember when the iPhone first really started to take off. I felt like I was doing even more of it because I was introducing people to this platform and I would take an hour or two to kind of get people up and rolling. How do you buy an app and run things? Um, and we've been too negative so far. There, there's some upsides to uh, being the IT department. Uh, one of them is you do get to influence how people buy their technology. Yeah. And, and hopefully if your friends and family are receptive, you know, that's your opportunity to help them adopt better habits. You know, we talk about having good password practices and good backup practices, um, you know, and helping them, you know, get off of maybe hardware that's not right for them and move them into the light. Uh, you know, these are all things that you have opportunities to do. So those are good things, too. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. I, I've done a good job of getting my family on good backup practices and I've got them all using uh, one password. But what I haven't done, I think the next step in this evolution is I'm going to spend the next several ho holidays talking about the virtues of VPN and getting them all to get set up with VPN. I think suddenly I feel like that's something that they all should have. Well, and I think it's something that's in the news enough that people are are, are 
hearing enough about it now that they'd be receptive to it. Uh, so it's okay helping them out. Also, it's nice, like in my family, because of my, you know, madness towards Apple products, it's really spread out. They all are using them. Not only my my immediate family, but their, you know, their children and whatever. It's really spread. So features like shared photo albums and a lot of the stuff that Apple makes that works really great if everybody's on Apple Apple hardware. In my family, that stuff always works because we're all using you know, the company line here. We've all got the the iPhones, the iPads, and the Macs. I want to thank our longtime sponsor of Mac Power Users, 1Password. You can learn more about 1Password and receive a discount by heading over to onepassword.com slash MPU and make sure that MPU is in all caps. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we released an episode of Mac Power Users called Living in a Tinfoil Hat World, and it was probably one of our most talked about episodes to date. We live in a world now where we have to be very security conscious because everybody out there seems to be out for our data. And I still strongly believe that perhaps the single best thing that you can do to protect yourself on the internet is to have strong, secure, unique passwords across all of your various websites and services. And the easiest and most effective way to do that is to have a password manager like 1Password. 1Password is the one that I use and I strongly recommend it for all of my friends and family members. But you know, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And even if you have adopted best password practices and you've got all of your security in order, what about your friends and family members? What about your coworkers? What about other people that you share information with? If they are not using best password practices, you are probably just as at risk of your data being compromised because of problems on their standpoint. So that's why it's so important to make sure that your family members and other members of your team are on board with good password practices. And that's where a solution like 1Password for Families or 1Password for Teams comes in handy as well, too. Now, since that tinfoil hat security episode, we've had a lot of people write in and say, well, is it really smart to put all of my passwords in one big bucket because then are I creating a place for hackers to come and attack me? And, you know, the folks at 1Password are a whole lot smarter than I am. And security is not just a feature of 1Password. It is their foundation. So if you head over to onepassword.com slash security, you can read all about the security mechanisms that they use and how they encrypt your data from end to end and the policies and procedures that they put in place to keep your data safe. It's transparent and open by design. And if you have any questions, you can go read all about it and then ask the folks at 1Password about it. So head on over onepassword.com slash MPU. And thanks to the folks at 1Password for their continued support of the show. So Katie, when should you not be the solo IT department? So I have a story about this that I that I want to tell, and it, it actually relates to my um, previous employment through my, my day job. And I think you really should think twice about being the IT department in situations when it's really not your job. Um, so here, my very first job out of law school, I worked for a, a fairly large uh, big law firm. They had their own IT department. Everything was really, really locked down. And there was nothing for me to do. There, there was I was not a decision maker. I was very low on the totem pole. So it was it was good and it was bad. But it was great that I had no nothing in the tech realm and nothing to do. And it was bad because I couldn't use what I wanted to do. And my second firm was like a breath of fresh air. Uh, it was a small firm. I could pretty much do whatever I wanted. Um, people, you know, listened to me and respected my opinion. 
And um, one day we had some idea and I decided I was going to kind of keep to myself because I, I didn't want to be known. I wanted to be known. At that point, I was making myself known as an attorney. I was not going to be Katie, the tech person. I was going to be Katie, the attorney. And um, we had some tech people in the office who were installing um, a new switch. And all of a sudden, half of our computers went down and nothing really worked right. And they couldn't figure it out and couldn't figure it out. And things were really weird symptoms. And I realized that I had seen this before. And um, I figured out pretty quickly that we had a DHCP conflict that we had. It was really simple thing, in my opinion, something that a tech company should have known. We yeah, had, we had, it's not a good sign for yeah, the company that had been we, hired. We, we, we had, we had one switch on one IP range and we had one switch on another IP range. And that's why half of the stuff in our office that was connected to one switch could work. And the other half could talk to certain things in our office, but not to others. And when I started putting all of these things together, I was like, this is what it is. I know what the problem is. And, um, and I kept my mouth shut for a while and like the, this turned into five minutes to 15 minutes to an hour. And finally, like out of frustration, I finally, you know, like went up to the guy and I was like, look, this is what your problem is. You've got, you know, and I told him and I had like one of my, you know, a couple of people were standing there and they looked at me and I was like, could be, don't know. See you. You know, and I it's left. like Superman just brought it, took his glasses off and they're like, what, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and at that point it was like, wow. Okay. So, you know, a little something about this. And then, um, all of a sudden I got labeled as the person in the office who knew about technology and there were some changes. There were some administrative issues in the office and I, that then became my official job. My job was to, in addition to being an attorney, was to not to be IT, but to oversee everything related to technology. If it had a court, it was on me. Um, and I probably spent easily 20 to 25% of, of my week in the office dealing with technology-related issues and interfacing with our vendors. And I was no longer, you know, just Katie, the attorney. I was Katie, the tech person in the office. Um, and, and I think it really changed the dynamic of my relationship with that firm. And in some ways it was good because I had a little more autonomy and a little more power and I had the ability to influence these decisions. But I think it also changed my professional focus in that company because people no longer respected me as much as an attorney if I just solely focused on that because, oh yeah, she's the attorney, but she's really our tech, you know, she's the tech person too. You know, does that make sense? No, it totally makes sense. I was talking to a friend, uh, a geek friend, a geek lawyer friend who had a similar experience where he was at a large firm and like they moved the firm and then he was the guy who helped them figure out the cable runs and all this other stuff. And then at the end of the year, they gave him a really small bonus. And he said, well, why'd you do that? And they said, well, your your hours were down, you know, because so much of the law practice about billable hours. Exactly. Same thing. Yeah. And um, and he's like, yeah, but I did all this work for you guys <laughs> for the IT. And I'm like, yeah, at the end of the day, that just doesn't really count to them. And I think in the, in that business, it's very easy to fall into a trap like that. And that could be true in a lot of professions and businesses. So be, be careful about it. Yeah, I. I think if you're in a situation where uh, I think it's different if you're the boss, if you're the decision maker, if this is your office and you want to be the IT person or you want to be the person who does this, I, I think that's a different conversation you're having. But but if you're not the boss, if it's not your office, and if it's also outside your role, if you're the accountant or the doctor or the attorney or the salesperson, and it's not your job to be IT and it's not your office, 
I would tell you to really think twice before you take the glasses off and show them that you're not really Clark Kent. I agree. And, and I like I just think because I represent a bunch of IT companies because of, you know, who I am and where I'm at. And I, I really believe, you know, when you said earlier that the IT is a thankless job that can be put on the people who do it professionally as well. There's just not that much respect for IT people. I mean, you need the computers to keep the business running. Quite often, if the, if the computers stop running, everybody loses their mind. Uh, but in terms of just like basic respect towards the skill set, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of kind of old kind of geek prejudice against these these men and women who 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 do really hard work to keep the computers running. So I can definitely see how they would uh, treat you a little differently if they thought of you as Katie, the IT person instead of Katie, the attorney. Right. Um, so that aside, I think there are also a couple of um, options or a couple of instances when you really shouldn't step in the role of, of providing support for someone. Um, I think one of those is also when you have no ability to provide ongoing support. Um, we were visiting an extended family member's house. I mean, this is a family that I maybe see only once every 20 years or so. And, you know, I, I may never see these people again. Um, and they they were having um, computer issues. And my mom said, oh, let Katie look at it. She'll she'll fix it up for you. And, uh, you know, it was it was an old PC and a slow Internet connection. And were there a few things that I probably could have done? Yeah, I'm 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 sure there could have been. But the reality is, is I, I don't know this person's situation. I don't know their setup. I don't know what other people may have done for them. Uh, you know, and I don't think it was appropriate for me to step in and completely tweak or revise their setup when I have absolutely no ability to provide them with any any ongoing support. Well, one of the nice things you have is the excuse of, I don't understand Windows or I don't do Windows, so I can't really help you. Right. Uh, it's just like the Apple Store. I mean, a lot of times people ask me something. I'm like, uh, it looks like hardware. If I were you, I'd just take it in the Apple Store. Where I live, everybody is near an Apple Store. You know, not like, you know, I know you have to drive hours. We don't. I was going to say, I think there's also a situation when you're only becoming an enabler. Um, when nobody, when they really don't want to learn or they don't want to help themselves and they just want to hand it to you and say, here, I, I don't know. Here you go. That That bothers me a little bit. Yeah, but I don't mind if it's easy. I'll do that. Um, uh, like if someone, you know, if we're at someone's a friend's house or whatever, and they've got a simple problem, <laughs> did I, I don't know if I mentioned this on the show. My sister called me. I think I, I think I was talking to somebody about it at the Chicago meetup. But my sister called me and she's like, "I didn't want to bother you, but I have this big problem with my my iPad," and and she starts describing it to me. And and the problem is she's got um, I forget the name of the app, but it's the one that's got the hand. You can use the Apple Pencil to handwrite across the bottom of the screen. It's an alternate keyboard. I forget which company it is. I'll look it up at next time Katie's talking and I'll tell you, cause it's a really great app. I I'm the one who installed it on her iPad for her cause she wanted it. Uh, but somehow it got switched to that keyboard and she says, it's been that way for two weeks and I can't type anything on it. And it's just making me crazy. <laughs> and I said, well, just tap the little glow button, you know, on there. And then of course, you know, the little glow button switches the keyboard back to the standard keyboard. And she'd been going about this for two weeks without talking to me <laughs> and she, she felt, I guess I made her feel bad last time I helped her out or something because she didn't call me up. I'm like, you know, your brother writes books about this stuff. You could call me. Um, but the, uh, but I think that, you know, if someone has a little problem like that, I don't mind at all helping them. If it's a big problem, like I I'll be just brutally honest with them. I'm like, this is a bigger problem than I can help you out with. And you know, you're going to have to go get more help somewhere else. 
All right. So we've talked a little bit. I don't know. Do we, do we think anybody should be the IT department? No, I think that I think in generally you are the IT department. I think it's almost a default. I what we're dealing with here is the the consequences of that. I mean, uh, even though we talked about some of the negative things about it here, uh, I can tell you I'm the IT department for my immediate family, my extended family, several friends, um, some lawyer friends call me up quite often with questions, which I don't really do their IT as much as give them advice. So, so I guess we're just talking about these hazards of it and, and installing limits in the relationships is a really good idea. I mean, I, I think that's the biggest problem. Like, yeah, I love getting email from listeners of, of Mac power users and people in our community because they're all so smart and they all have great things to say. Occasionally I get an email from a listener or a reader who starts describing what's wrong with why their windows server 95 is breaking. And they send me like a log and they're like, could you help me figure this out? You know, <laughs> you get them too, Katie. I know you do. I, I do. <laughs> so. And I, I and I, look, this is just a good opportunity to tell people, um, please don't send us feedback with requests for support because we, we can't help you. I'm, we, we just can't. I'm sorry. Well, we could, but then we'd have to stop making podcasts. And I'd have to start writing books and my family would have to stop eating because I got to work too. But the, uh, you know, so th- those always drive me nuts, but, but the, um, you know, the people around you are asking, I think my initial reaction is, yes, I want to help you. That's why I need to have this kind of show where I start to develop some limits. Like I will not help you with windows because there's a good chance I'll make it worse because I don't know enough about windows anymore to help you. And, um, and hardware is getting to such an extent with Apple that I really can't do much for you for hardware unless it's very basic. And otherwise, you know, here's five Apple stores within a half hour of where we're sitting right now go make an appointment. I'll help you make an appointment or an Apple authorized service provider. There's some great smart people out there that don't work for Apple that can fix a Mac. So, uh, so let's talk about some, some, some practices to pick up along the way. I think one of the things that's important is we tend to, as geeks, sometimes get caught up, especially when we're asked for advice about technology, about what's right for us and not necessarily what's right for the person that we're trying to help. And an example of this, you know, is I, I'm, I'm in the market to buy a, a, a new TV. I need to buy a bigger TV. Um, I don't think I've announced it on the podcast yet, but I'm, I'm moving. Um, I'm, I'm giving, I'm selling this beautiful, lovely home, if anybody wants to buy it, um, that, um, that I built a couple of years ago and I'm, I'm upgrading. I'm, I'm buying a little bit bigger house and a little bit nicer neighborhood, a little bit closer into town. And um, the TV that I have is going to be a little small on the wall. So I need to get a, a bigger TV. And I, I was asking my um, my uncle for advice because I know that he is, um, you know, all into to TVs. And, and what I told him is I said, you know, I... I really can't tell that much of a difference between TVs. I'm not looking to spend a ton of money. Um, I'm looking for something in the 60-inch realm, you know, something reasonable, but I I don't want to go, you know, crazy. You know, and he comes back with a $3,000 proposal. And I'm sitting here going, I was kind of thinking maybe in the $1,000 realm, you know, and... And you're thinking, let's go to Costco and pick one up. Right, right. And he's like, yeah, I get it. That's a good... Actually, that's really good because... Um, or like I'm the same way with cars. I'm not super picky about cars. I drive a Ford. I'm just not, you know, that's not something that I'm passionate about. 
Whereas I am passionate about technology. So when someone tells me, you know, I've got this old Mac that you and I are upset about because they're still running iWork on it and it's running an old version of the operating system, uh, you know, that's just my car or your TV to those people. And you, you have to take that into consideration. Yeah. So it just says, you know, what what's the right decision for you it may not necessarily be the right decision for the friends and family that you're supporting, and they may not always need the latest and greatest. I even think that's true with software recommendations. Like as much as I love Scrivener, there's very few people in my life that I've like, I know there's a lot of listeners of the show that I've turned on to it, but like in my immediate family, I'm not putting them on Scrivener. My kids really, I'm, they're using pages, you know, because I just know the way they are. They're not going to get geeky enough to get the most out of something like Scrivener. So consider that as you're making recommendations. Um, the, the other thing that you have to be very careful of is the, uh, here, just let me do that for you mentality, because it can be so frustrating to watch, um, somebody struggle with technology, you know, no, no, go up, uh, no file, file, nope, next to edit, nope, over, nope, down, nope. You know, I mean, and, and sometimes it, I, sometimes I tell people, I say, let's swap. I'll, I'll teach your parents how to do this. You teach my parents how to do that or, you know, vice versa. Cause sometimes we're better with other family members than we are with our own. Um, but, and, and while it may be easier for you just to grab the keyboard or the, uh, the mouse from somebody, uh, it's not necessarily better for them. Well, it depends to me, like, uh, the, you know, the teach a man to fish or give him a fish story. Um, as an example, my wife's SaneBox account stopped working recently, and I believe it was after all the recent upgrades of Apple hardware. And, oh, did you change your Apple ID recently? Your Apple password? Uh, exactly. Cause you were telling everybody to do that. Yeah. Yeah, so as soon as as soon as it it stopped working, I I was even without seeing her computer, I knew I was pretty sure that the problem was it was her iCloud account and that you know you have to get a a one-off password with iCloud accounts. You can't use your general iCloud password at third-party sites like Sanebox. It's a security thing Apple does. And I think it's pretty clever. But getting my wife to was it appleid.apple.com security and, and getting her to get her own one-time password to me, teaching her to do that was not something that would be healthy for my marriage. So uh, what I did was said, let me have your computer. And I just fixed it. And it took me all of two minutes to get a one-time password and install it in same box and get everything working. She was super happy with me. And and we didn't have to go through that together. <laughs> but like setting up a smart mailbox, uh, a smart mailbox on the other hand, I would want to do with her and teach her how to do that so she could do it herself going forward. So to me, that's kind of a judgment call. If someone comes to me with a problem that's something like a one-time problem or something that I just don't think they're ever going to be able to do, even if I teach them, because it's so infrequent, I'll just fix it for them. But but let me suggest that you might have wanted to explain to Daisy why her sane box stopped working because that will happen again. Yeah, I did. I told her what was going on, but I didn't try to like have her fix it. Maybe if she doesn't fix it, but at least she can know that if that happens again, she can say, Oh, Hey David, you know, it stopped. I changed my Apple ID and I think we need to go create a new second two factor authentication thing. Yeah. I think it's a judgment call, but I, I think if you can lean towards teaching them how to fish rather than showing them. Agreed. Agreed. Um, the other thing that I want to be cautious of, and I know I've talked about this before, is hand-me-down hardware. I think with the best of intentions, sometimes we hand down hardware to people or um, people receive hand-me-down hardware or even they give hand-me-down hardware. They want to donate it or, or do things like this. And while this may be filled with good intentions, um, if it's not done properly, 
or if it's um, too old hardware, um, this can create a lot more work and create a lot more problems. I think I've told the story before on the show where um, my dad got a new iMac and he wanted to give his father, um, who's in his late 80s and, um, you know, had a really bad, bad Dell computer, um, his iMac. And that was a great gift. And it turned out to be a great thing for my grandfather. He's gotten a lot of joy out of it. But my dad wanted to give it to him really set up as is so that my grandfather could, you know, take advantage of all my dad's software, which honestly was nothing that great. You know, he didn't have any great software on there. Yeah, that's kind of a legacy thing, though, for old time computer users. It used to be a thing because software, the way it was licensed and or the way you got around licensing, I guess, would be the better way to put it. Uh, people would often, you know, give you a computer full of software already, and they would think that they were helping you out. And in reality, this created a ton of problems because now when he does updates, sometimes, you know, was it was it my dad's password or does it is it his password or what what do we have to punch in and why do some of these apps update and why does he keep getting asked for passwords but some of the passwords aren't the same. Um, and it's a it's a huge problem. And what we ended up finally having to do is just erase and reinstall and, and start again. And it would have been so much cleaner if we had done it right the first time. Yeah, and how much of your time did you spend dealing with hours the, the goofy... and hours and hours? I mean, I'm not talking about the erase and reinstall just before that, you know, just dealing with the goofy handoff. Yeah. Yeah. Took forever. Yeah. And so, and that's, that's where you get into placing conditions on your service. You say, look, I, it's like I used to tell people, you know, I still tell people if they want me to help them set up a new Mac, my price is that you have an external hard drive when I get there. And that's because I want to make sure that before I leave, you have at least the basic backup system attached to your computer, you know, and, and everybody laughs at me, but they do it. And when I leave, they've got backup. If I tell them, you know, if I if I don't make them physically have it there, then they're not going to do it. I think you could say, hey, Dad, if I'm if you want me to help Grandpa with this, we got to nuke this thing before we give it to him. Sometimes that's not so easy with family, but, you know. Yeah, I know. Lesson learned, right? Um, but but really, the best practice is to completely erase the computer, install the latest OS from, from scratch, um, and then let them set it up and, and make it their own. One tidbit now is um, for iOS devices, you've got to make sure that that activation lock is off to do this. Um, so be sure, be sure you do that. Yeah. That's no fun to, to run into that. If somebody's getting their new hardware. Yeah. And, and then they can't use it and then it doesn't work and then it's a big problem. So, so some, so some best practices with hand downs, uh, hand me downs, erase the computer, install the latest OS or, or install the, the, I would say the optimal OS, depending on how old the, the, the hardware is. Yeah. Any, any other tips before we move on? No. I want to talk about a toolbox. Let's do that after this. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. Conquer your email today and get $25 off by signing up at SaneBox.com MPU. I love talking about SaneBox because they've made such a big impact on my life. I've got a lot of ores in the water, and as a result, I get a lot of email. Before I became a SaneBox subscriber, it was driving me crazy. Now with SaneBox, I've got a lot more control. SaneBox is a service that takes a look at your email as it comes in. It's like having your own personal assistant. It looks at the recipient, the sender, and the subject line, and it compares that email to how you have responded to email from that same person in the past. After just a little training, the thing gets really smart about knowing the email that's important to you and the email that's not important for, to you. 
As a result, when you open your inbox with SaneBox, you just see the most important email. The rest of it gets filtered into other Sane folders, like the Later folder or the News folder. Because this is all web-based, you can implement it no matter which mail app you're using or which email system you're using. It's completely platform agnostic, and it's awesome. There are a bunch of additional features included with SaneBox, like the black hole or the snoozing or even the vacation mode, but the one I'd like to focus on today is the Sane Reminders. This is a really powerful feature. Whenever you're sending an email out, you can blind copy it to SaneBox and you give it a, a increment of time at SaneBox.com. So you could say like one week at SaneBox.com. Now, if the person you sent that email to doesn't respond to you within one week, you get a follow-up notice from SaneBox. This completely removes the problem of having to add tasks to your task list about following up on emails. Instead, you just build reminders into the email when you send it. I've really been making an effort to use this feature more often lately, and I can't get over how much time it saves me. Anyway, that's just one of the many features you get with SaneBox. I want you to head over there and check it out. They get these ridiculous numbers with Mac Power Users listeners. They can't get over it. Why the listeners of this show, as opposed to all their podcasts, are so eager to use SaneBox. And that's because we get it. We're trying to save time, and SaneBox delivers. So head over to SaneBox.com slash MPU. We talked to them. They've agreed to give all Mac Power Users listeners $25 credit on any plan. It's a great deal and a great service. That's SaneBox.com slash MPU. All right, so we've been doing the touchy-feely stuff for a long time now. Um, let's talk about, let's get nerdy, Katie. Let's talk about the, the cool tech you're going to use to do this stuff with. If you if you become the IT guy or gal, uh, you need some hardware with you, right? You need some tools, some software. What do we need? Well, a, a couple of things. Um, you know, you, as you know, I drive around with a uh, copy of OS ten on my on my keychain. So you still do that. I still I love do that. that. You know, I can't tell you the last time that I used it, but just in case, I'm ready. That was my next question. When's the last time you needed it? <laughs> but uh, who knows? And, and I can't I can't use it with my current computer. So I, I got to upgrade my keychain. But we'll yeah, see. your current computer is USB C, so <laughs> you couldn't even plug it in. Well, actually, you'd have an adapter, I'm sure. Um, yeah, uh, I drive around with an adapter too. Just real quick for everybody listening, because not everybody listening has heard this before. Uh, so you've got a, li- a very small flash drive that you attach to your keychain. I do. Yes. It's called like a tough and tiny. Yeah. Yeah. They are super small these days and you can get a lot of storage on them. And one of the things you do is you put an OS 10 installer, or I guess we should say Mac OS installer, because it's not even OS 10 anymore. Um, but you put some other stuff on there. Just Real quick, what what else are you keeping on it these days? Um, I, I usually I've always kept um, the macOS installer, uh, the the latest i i work installer. I used to keep the iLife installer, but I think I phased that out. Um, I used to keep, and I think I still have the like Microsoft Office installer because that was something I I ran into quite frequently. Um, I think that was about th- those were the big ones, and maybe like a utility or two on there. Wow. I see. I, what I do is I have one too. I, I carry around. It's not on my keychain, but it's on, uh, it's on a device. It's on a, like a little key ring that goes in whatever bag I'm carrying around at the time. And I, I have an, a, a secure archive of my one password stuff in there, uh, which allows me to, you know, for some reason I needed to get access to my passwords, I could do it. And a couple things like that. I don't really have much um, uh, set up a new Mac stuff there as much as I have just key data. But it's all it's all encrypted. Make sure you if you can, if you decide to do this, make sure you encrypt it. I was talking to a guy at the ABA Tech Show, an attorney who 
let somebody, he carried a bunch of client files on one of those portable thumb drives and Oops. lost it. He lost it like on the subway or something. And some of it ended up on the internet. So make sure you encrypt that stuff. But yeah, it, it's, it's nice that you can do that now. I mean, they're so small and the, the encryption technology is solid if you can do it. Yeah. And in addition to there's the, the drive that I keep on my keychain, um, I also do have a separate drive where I keep the fairly up to date, the, the current, like I have Sierra, but I may not have what, what is the latest one, 10, whatever, 0. 0.4, 0. 0.3, or, you know, the, the latest point update, um, a, a flash drive to install the OS. And I, I do that. And there's an article we can link to in the show notes with, with explanations of how you create a bootable flash drive installer. But I do that because if you ever have to nuke and pave a machine, the fastest way to get back up and going um, is to have a flash drive installer as opposed to, you know, having to download and do internet recovery and all those other things. Um, so you've got critical installers, but but whether or not you keep it on your keychain, as as my friend Katie Floyd does, if you are going to be this IT person and you're going to visit family members or friends or whatever, having access to those installers can really save you. Because like she said, if you have to reinstall the OS and you're at their house, likely they don't have a super fast internet connection. You could spend half the day just getting the OS installed. Right. Um, one of the things that I do, and I think you do this as well, is I keep a lot of the updated installers on my Synology um, so that I can have easy access to them so that I can just drag them off and take them somewhere if I need to go. World's easiest um, Hazel rule. If it ends in DMG, uh, make a copy onto your your big bucket of storage wherever you keep it in your life. I add a condition to this because I don't want every DMG saved to my installer folder because that then it can get a little unwieldy. Um, I, I have to tag it. So if I tag it with a certain color and it's a DMG, then save it. So it's just a one quick tag for me to do it, but then that will take care of it. That makes sense. And you could also run a rule on the storage folder. Like if something's older than a year or two, you could say, go ahead and trash it. Although that may make some people crazy because there's some old Apple apps that people like, like, what was it? iDisc? Remember iDisc? Mm -hmm. I know there's some, or iDVD. That's one that I know some listeners still use. I installed that just recently. It's the best way I found. How, how do you burn uh, an, a movie to a DVD that you can play in a DVD player? It's hard. I uh, I downloaded, I bought some some overpriced and underdeveloped software from the App Store and eventually got it to work the last time I needed to do it for a kid's project. But I was really missing iDVD. I should have I should have sent you a note. Of course you would have had it for me. I could have sent you my installer of iDVD. Sure. Okay. Um, I think you have to get it out of the... I'd have to send you the entire iLife DMG. So you have to deselect. Let's say you don't want iWeb anymore. You have to deselect. Yeah, iWeb. Know, oh, man. This is like memory lane. Want. Yes. Yeah, you have to deselect all the stuff you don't want. But I got it for you if you need it. Uh, my, the first iteration of MaxSparky.com was made with iWeb. It was pretty terrible. I um, just went to a business website recently that was clearly still made with iWeb. Does it have a little logo on it made with iWeb? I don't, I don't they remember do if it did or not, but yeah. <laughs> Who knows? All right. Uh, so the other stuff you need, um, if you're going to go and look at hardware, it doesn't uh, hurt to have a few tools handy. Yeah. So I have two different screwdriver sets. Um, OWC makes a pretty basic one that that gets me by for like 90% of all the stuff that I use. It includes a very small Phillips, a very small flathead, and then a couple of uh, Torx screwdrivers that will do most stuff. And it includes one of those little pry tools. 
Um, and I like the OWC screwdriver set, but if you want to get really complex, um, iFixit has like a 90 gazillion piece set that they'll sell you. And, and the funny thing is Apple, it's like every time Apple comes with a new piece of hardware, they, they, it's like they develop their own screws for it. So the standard screw heads quite often will not open Apple stuff. So you may need the iFixit or the OWC kit in order to get into something. Like a standard Phillips is not going to open a lot of pieces, especially when it comes to the iOS hardware. I was looking at the uh, breakdown. Somebody took the new, you know, the new red iPhone and somebody did a video on removing, it has the white uh, screen on it. You know, it's the the white uh, bordered screen on a red iPhone. And somebody said, I want a black screen. So he uh, broke down how he was taking it apart and putting the black screen in. And it was really cool watching him do it. But there were three different proprietary screws that he had to get to to do that fix. It's silly. I don't know. Why don't they just pick one? Because they don't want you doing that. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, if you're going to go do uh, tech support for somebody, you should bring an extra hard drive. Just bring it. They're they're so small anymore, and you don't know if you're going to be uh, doing anything that involves data. You want to run your own little backup before you touch anything. Um, there's a there's just so many good reasons to have a, a hard drive with you when you go do this stuff. Yeah, I I agree. It's a great thing to have, and you just never know when you're going to need it or when you're going to need to, um, you know, make a quick backup of something, and it just gives you options. I've even done it where I, uh, a couple times I've just given it to, I mean, these things are so cheap now. It's like you go to, you get one for 20 or $30, a small hard drive. And uh, sometimes I'll just go and um, just give it to them because I'll get there and I'll realize that, that they've got this computer that's never been backed up. I'll like, all right, I'm just leaving this attached to your computer. Do not unplug it. Just leave it there and pretend like it doesn't exist. Um, I also tend to take a couple of uh, utilities with me, and, and I think some of these are on my keychain. My my go-to kind of jack-of-all-trade shotgun utility is still Onyx. It's free. Um, I think they make a companion utility called Maintenance that's a little um, less scary, but it will do things like clear caches and repair disk permissions and rebuild launch services databases. And if someone's computer is just running wonky, that's the first thing that I'll do is um, is is run Onyx and see what's going on. Um, another tool that I really like is um, made by our friends over at MacPaw is Clean My Mac. Um, if especially if you've got someone whose computer is like absolutely bloated to the limit, and that in itself can cause a lot of problems because as soon as your computer runs out of free space, all kinds of bad things can happen. And if they've never run any of these. Um, you know, cleaning products or tools, you know, you'd be shocked how much you can clear. I mean, you can clear off you know, 20 or 30 gigabytes, you know, pretty easily by removing, you know, language files or uninstalling applications and those types of things. And, and Clean My Mac is my go-to tool for that. And then, of course, if you just want to remove, um, you know, old and outdated files, um, you know, the two tools that, that I like for that is um, Daisy Disk and Omni Disk Sweeper. They Depending on if you're kind of an outline person or... Um, Daisy Disk has this really interesting way of of presenting data kind of in concentric circles to show you what's taking up your space. But that will show you where all the space on your hard drive is being used. Yeah, I mean, there's some built-in tools now in OS X that started with some of the more recent versions of OS X that are pretty good at helping you clean uh, extra space off your disk. And I would also recommend just on Clean My Mac, I have now, my iMac is getting 
pretty full. Um, I've got several screencast projects I'm working on right now, and I like to keep those on the SSD because they just it's so much easier to edit and record those on native storage. And so I need to go through with clean my Mac about every two or three weeks and just get rid of whatever I can to keep a nice, safe comfort zone. And I'm finding that that one app does such a good job. I mean, I'm not using OmniDisk Reaper and Daisy Disk as much anymore. Uh, and I think a nice thing about Clean My Mac is this is something that you could put on somebody, you know, tell them to buy a license, put it on their Mac, and it's a reputable company, it's a good product, and and normal people can run this. And Daisy Disk, if you want, it can nag you. You know, it can every month or so it can pop up and say, Hey, it's been a long time. Do you want me to to run? And I feel safe knowing that, you know, friends and family members that aren't necessarily geeks can run that. And I tell them just put, click the default button and just let it do its thing, um, that it's going to take care of their disk storage, um, without really having any problems. Yeah. Those are, those are great options. SSD. I mean, SSD is really uh, as great as it is and how fast it is. It's really brought back the problem of running out of space. I mean, it, we, we still haven't really recovered from it. I mean, I know the drives are getting bigger and cheaper, but, it's still a big issue for a lot of people. And especially when you're doing tech support for people, I can almost guarantee you they didn't pay extra to get a bigger SSD. They've got whatever the minimum size was with that build available for that computer. Um, another good tool when you're going to somebody's house to help them out with the, or their business to help them out with tech is uh, Wi-Fi tools. A lot of times their problem is internet. And if you've got a tool that can you know, rate the Wi-Fi and see what channels are being used, that can be really helpful too. And there's a whole bunch of those apps. Yeah, a lot of a lot of issues can be solved just by seeing, you know, what channel your neighbors are on, what channel you're on and and where conflicts are. I'm using currently I've got this one I got off the App Store called Wi-Fi Explorer, and I don't know that if it's particularly good. I'm sure we'll hear from some listeners. Oh, I think that's the one. I think that's the one. Yeah. And if listeners have one they like, let us know, but it's it's good enough and and I can go and put it, you know, if it's on my laptop, if I'm at somebody's house, I can you know, find if there's a problem pretty quickly. Any other tools that you regularly carry around? I mean, I know there are lots of utilities that, that we can recommend that people use, but anything that you take as part of your carry kit? The, um, whenever I was, I'm not doing this as much anymore because now my family is getting to the point where they're all buying the newer MacBooks. But when they all had the old, uh, the white plastic ones, and even some of the original aluminum ones that had replaceable hard drives, I kept a... Um, Are you going to say a Mr. Clean Magic Eraser? No, but you can talk about that. It's, it's old school. I mean, I don't think that's really relevant <laughs> okay. anymore. Well, you just, you, just, you just said those old white MacBooks, so that's what made me think of the Mr. Clean Magic Eraser. I was thinking about the ones where I could replace a hard drive, but I used to carry a, um, a disk enclosure as well. Ah, because okay, I gotcha. When you're, when you're replacing a drive, you got to have a disk enclosure for it. So... So I used to have the cable and the screwdriver and the pieces I'd need to do the disk swap. I mean, the the two pieces of maintenance I did, hardware maintenance I did most is is upgrading the RAM and replacing the drive. That I mean, that's something that that that's very easy. It's you know, it's level one on the ten scale of of technical expertise. Also, uh, software tools related to that, like you know, Super Duper or Carbon Copy Cloner or whatever scratches your itch. Um. The uh, I, it's interesting to me that neither one of us mentioned antivirus software, uh, security, any any security related tools. I, the one that I might add now is malware bytes, maybe. Um, you know, just because 
I think malware is becoming increasingly a thing that you see on people's computers, particularly more novice computer users. And um, I, I think that might be a tool just to add to the tool belt to to try to diagnose those types of problems in one shot. Yeah. Another tool that is good, especially with older hardware, is Disk Warrior. It's a, it's a software tool. You know, your disk drive is... You know, it's the phone book is the directory of the files, and there's the files. And sometimes the the phone book points to the wrong file, and things start getting uh, confusing, especially with the existing disk system. Hopefully, this will get fixed with the Apple file system that they're getting ready to to release on the Mac. But at least with re- with respect to the existing file system, it can get crufty and cause problems. And a couple of times, and this now hasn't happened to me in a couple of years, but. There's been a few times in my life where someone would tell me my computer has got all these problems and then disk errors, and you think that it's a dead a dead drive, and they may think that they've lost all their data, and Disk Warrior would go in there, and it would retrace or recreate the phone book for those file directories, and it has completely solved the problem a few times that I needed. It's, it's like $100 when I bought it. It's been a couple of years since I bought the most recent version, but that's a tool that a lot of, uh, that has really saved people. Uh, in my IT business career. Yeah, I think those are all good tools. And if people have other tools, a great place to send those to us. Um, We'll probably have a feedback show coming up in not too long is uh, feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. Or let's continue this discussion in the Facebook group. You know, we've got a very active group uh, there. You can find a link to that over at MacPowerUsers.com. If you look over over in the side column, you'll see um, in links of note. Uh, But I think it's Facebook.com slash groups slash MacPowerUsers. I think you don't, you don't have uh, your paint spackler anymore. They used to use to fix the, uh, I do, I do have paint. Well, that's, that's not a, I do. I, I, okay. So I have an entire box in my closet. I've now moved it multiple times and I'm going to move it again, but I can't bring myself to let it go. I, I, not, not a small box. This is a big box. This is one of those big Rubbermaid, um, you know, storage totes that you could like fit a small child in. Um, and it is my box of, and it's fairly well organized. Like a couple of years ago, I dumped it all out on the floor and then started organizing everything into plastic baggies. And it is organized with all the different cables and things that I would possibly need. And so I've got like various different types of USB cables. I've got HDMI cables. I've got coax cable. I've got firewire cables. I've got firewire 400 and 800 cables with all different things on various ends. I really need to go through and throw a bunch of that stuff out because I'm never going to use it. And at this point, how much of that stuff am I going to continue to support? It's got USB of every variety. It's got one of those. Oh, another great thing to have. You should consider adding maybe not to your travel utility belt, but to your Rubbermaid box at home. Um, I've got one of those toaster drive docks. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know you had one of those. Yeah. This is a drive dock that um, sits on your desk. It usually connects by like USB three or, or something else. And it allows you to throw a bare drive in it and without having to have the drive in a hard drive enclosure. And that comes in handy a lot. I use that a lot if I'm, you know, erasing a drive or just need to quickly see what's on a drive. Um, I've got that. What, what else is in that box? I've got a lot of cable ties in that box. I do have my two paint spacklers in that box so that I can get into my my Mac mini. I've got my uh, OWC screwdrivers and my um, iFixit screwdrivers are in that box. I have those things too. I, I occasionally clean it out. And when I do, I just wait for the next family gathering and I put like 15 USB cables 
on the table or whatever. You know, you don't need 15 USB cables. <laughs> Pick the two that are work really good and just get rid of the rest. You know, I, I'm always kind of like purging that. But what I do is with next family gatherings, I put them on the table and all the nerds in my family, I just send like a pack of hungry wolves. I don't even know what they do with all these cables they take home, but I never have to throw them out somebody's always willing to take them. Yeah, that's what I used to do at my mug meetings. And that's probably why the box has gotten bigger is every now and then I would I would clean out the box and then transfer the contents of what I didn't need anymore to like a, a big copy paper box and then take the copy paper box into the meeting and say free to good home. Um, I do that a lot of stuff. You know, people would send us stuff to review and I'd stick, I'd, I'd just throw all that stuff in a box. And, you know, once every quarter, I'd take it to the Mac meeting and we'd either raffle it off or give it away or do all kinds of stuff with it. Now, when you are going to be the Katie Floyd remote IT person, do you ever bring the Rubbermaid box with you? Mm, and I think I'm sometimes I'll pull like a thing or two. No, this is a big box. Like I said, it, you could fit a small child in this box. You keep saying that. How do you know that? I, mm, <laughs> I'm not going to answer that question. Um, children play in boxes. So I've seen children in boxes this size. Um but um, no, sometimes I will have people come to my house where I have access to my box and my stuff. So that makes things easier. I want to thank Smile for their support of Mac Power users and talk a little bit about their amazing text expander. You can learn more by heading over to smilesoftware.com slash MPU. You all know that I've been a text expander fan for... Pff, years now. I can't even remember life before Text Expander. It is one of the first things that I have to install on my computer, or I simply can't get my work done without it. And if you, like me, have become to rely on Text Expander, you understand how important it is. Now, imagine the productivity and the power that you have with Text Expander, and what if you could multiply that among your entire teams? Well, you can now with Text Expander for Teams. Text Expander for Teams is a productivity multiplier. It's a shared knowledge base from which you and your entire team can communicate quickly and accurately. Using Text Expander, you can have access to all of your common responses. They can be worded by your best writers. They can be accessible and searchable through simple abbreviations and keyboard shortcuts. And it's available on all the platforms that your team members are on, whether it's Mac or iOS or Windows or the web. And April now represents Text Expander's first anniversary. So in that time, the Text Expander crew have added all kinds of features to Text Expander since the original launch. That includes team statistics, group notes, public groups, monthly activities report, a Windows app, ton of client software, and much, much more. You can learn more about Text Expander by visiting smilesoftware.com and get started with your free trial. And while you're there, I want you to take a look at some of the stories about other companies and organizations that have been using Text Expander as part of their teams. Companies like AgileBit, Shopify, Tumblr, Linode, Automatic, and a whole lot more. If Text Expander can do wonders for these teams, imagine what they can do for yours. So to learn more, head over to smilesoftware.com slash MPU and thanks Smile for your continued support of the show. Okay, so somebody has uh, entrusted you to become their remote IT person. You have accepted the responsibility that comes with that. What's, uh, what's some things you should be worried about? Yeah, as you're helping people out with this stuff. Well, a lot of these are like Mac power user classics, but I think we they're they're worth running through nonetheless. There there are definitely some things that you should consider in every situation where where you decide to take on some kind of support role, whether it's professional or personal or, or whatever it might be. I think one of the first things that we talk about now, we used to always talk about backup first, but now we talk about security first. 
Um, my health times have changed. But I, I think a couple of things you need to address um, uh, security and easy things to look at is um, first disk encryption. Yeah, I mean, just turn file vault on. Right? Yeah, my my default now is to turn file vault on, unless there is a really really good reason that it shouldn't be on. I have file vault on all of my computers. But when you're helping somebody else out, I just turn it on for other. I turned on for them. Yeah, I do too. They're like, "What's that for?" It's just it's protect your privacy. Just just turn it on. Don't worry about it. Yeah, um, be, file vault only encrypts the local hard drive, so I also encrypt any backup drives as well. Yeah, so the, the drive that I'm demanding they have as, as fees for my service, you want to make sure you turn on. And it's just a checkbox. It's really easy. Well, it's a checkbox in Time Machine, or it's a right-click on the drive in the Finder and click in encrypt. Now, that can take some time, either to run FileVault or encrypt the backup drive, so you may want to start that when you get there. But um, make a backup before you encrypt anything, just in case something goes wonky during the process. Amen. That's why you have the extra hard drive. Yes, yeah. There you go. Um, passcode locks now are a big thing, whether it's um, Mac or iOS, everybody needs to have a passcode lock on their devices. It, if, if you turn something on and you can, anybody can get access to their device, you're doing something wrong. Um, and so on, uh, with that also means turn off auto login. And I, I would say also when you're dealing with passcode locks or, or with login passwords, um, do a reality check that the, the, a code is not zero 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 zero, or um, you know something ridiculously easy. Well, coming up with actually coming up with a password for someone is a bit of a challenge because uh, you're helping people out. By definition, they're asking for your help because they don't want to get too involved with this stuff. Uh, you want to give them a password that's better than pencil, but you also don't want to give them the password that's so ridiculous that they can't remember it. Um, I, I recommend using uh, one, one of the options in 1Password or whatever password manager you use is uh, to have like pronounceable passwords or word-based passwords where it's three or four unrelated words connected by hyphens or something else. And those are a lot easier to remember. And just go through and, and come up with a couple of those. And if it's someone that you're doing this for, I don't know if this is ethical or not, but I always save the password to my 1Password database. Because if they ever call me, they ever forget, I'll have it for them later. Um, another thing I wanted to add on to that Katie just mentioned was turn off auto login. Um, several times we've heard from listeners that had um, kids getting into their accounts and they couldn't figure out why because they wanted, you know, they wanted to have truly a Mac that was only like, like if you have parental controls and you put timing on the kid and then you go in and you find the kid has used the computer for five hours, but they've just been using mom's account and you don't know how that happened. The kids are really smart, right? Yeah, they are smart. So they turn the computer off, they turn it back on, and it auto-logins to mom's account, which is, if you don't turn that off, that's what it's going to do. So now they aren't subject to parental controls, and they can go crazy. They can go wherever they want on the internet. They can spend as much time as they want. Um, that's why you need to do stuff like that. And the bad guys will do that, too. So if you leave it turned on, uh, doesn't matter how great your passcode is, if you've got auto-login, they're going to get in. Um, the other thing I think you should do is I think you should set up separate user accounts for everybody on the computer. I see a lot of times in shared environments where, um, you know, family members share a computer or, oh, yeah, just tell the grandkids they can they can go back and hop on my computer. And then something happens and your real computer with your real stuff on it is now all messed up. 
So, you know, set up a guest account, set up a grandkids account, let everybody have their own separate dedicated space on the computer because then everybody's space is nice and clean and set up just the way that they want it. You don't have to worry about somebody else's stuff invading your stuff. Yeah. And uh, it it also like is more secure that way. So like you're saying, you don't want someone going onto your Amazon account or whatever other things you have installed on your computer. Exactly. Um, kind of related to that is I suggest particularly in office settings, but also at home too, and maybe you have different times for home versus at work, but to set your computer to automatically lock upon sleep or screensaver. Now, this means you also need to set your computer to have the screensaver automatically come on after a a certain period of time. So this is a two-step process. I think at my house, I have my computer set to auto lock on screensaver after 10 minutes. And I think at the office, I have it set for five minutes. Um, so I have a little more leeway at home than I do at the office, but, um, I, I want to know that if I walk away from my computer for an extended period of time and don't get back to it, that it's, it's going to be locked. Yeah. And I would actually go just rewind a bit to where we're talking about the multiple accounts. Um, give some consideration to whether this person needs an admin account. Um, uh, you can do a lot more damage to a Mac with an admin account than you can with a user account. And if you're setting it up for a relatively novice user, you may be better off just setting them up with a user account. And this is kind of comes back to, are you going to own this, you know, once you accept this job of being the IT person, because they are going to need an admin user once in a while. And are you willing to, to, you know, to cut them out of that and you take care of that for them? Right. Um, I think you also want to set up, find my Mac, find my iPhone and find my iPad, depending on as the situation warrants it. Some people are nervous about that because, oh, someone can erase my Mac and my iPhone and my iPad if they have my iCloud username and password. Well, that also brings up our next topic. Yeah. <laughs> password best practices. Yeah. But uh, or two I, factor. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I think you are far outweighed by having um, find my device enabled than you are without it because it, it just gives you options. It, number one, uh, you know, just. I left something at a restaurant or I need to go back and get it or where is it? Is it at home or is it at the office? Just can bring a lot of peace of mind or to find that if you've lost something and it's not at your home or the office, uh, that you can lock it or that you can wipe it or do all those types of things. That's something that you can't go back and do retroactively. So just set it up from the very beginning. What about two-factor authentication? Are you, when you're doing this for people, are you getting them into two-factor authentication now? I think you should. So I'm going to say you should. Um, uh, funny, you should mention this, um, uh, the latest iOS update, and I know we're pre-recording the show, so it may not now be the latest, but the, uh, I, iOS 10.3, I think is the, the latest iOS update. That, no, you're that, too late. It's already 10.3.1, I think. Okay. 10.3.1. But I think, I think it was the iOS 10.3 update after you restarted from that update prompted you to turn on two-factor authentication. And um, my my dad was having issues with his iPhone, so we we backed it up and I ran the update for him. And um, it prompted me to turn on two-factor authentication as I was setting his phone back up. And I clicked yes. And he hasn't called yet. It's been, it's been three days now, and he hasn't called screaming. So I think that's a success. <laughs> yeah, I think that, I think I agree with you. I think it's a good idea, but I think it's something you need to do when you've got like a half hour. And I know that sounds like too much time, but it, it is probably enough time to explain to someone who's never heard of two-factor authentication before what you're doing. Or you can do what Katie did and just turn it on and run away. Yeah. And then leave <laughs> exactly. the country. Throw a hand grenade in the room, shut the door, run. 
you know, but the, uh, but I, uh, I really think it's a good idea to explain to them, you know, like I kind of, you don't have to say Matt Honig, but you can say, look, people were getting hacked. All they need is your password and your account number with this. You are way more secure and it's a little bit of a pain in the neck. And occasionally you're going to get a text message on your phone that you're going to have to type in somewhere, just roll with it. And, um, and explain to them. And I, I, um, I haven't done this across my whole network of people I support, but I have started unrolling uh, Max Sparky support for two-factor authentication in my own IT business as of late. And I, I think it's a good idea. Um, yeah. And, and so I, I think that also brings in the discussion of, you know, password best practices. And we did that tinfoil hat show before, but, um, I, I think at a minimum you start them off with iCloud keychain if they're all Apple devices and, um, hopefully you graduate them to a password management app. Uh, Everybody knows what, what our preferred one is, but I think you just have to start having these conversations about, you can't use fluffy 24 as your password across everything on the internet anymore. Um, the, the other thing that I would say moving a little bit off family and moving more into the, the, um, the IT realm, if, if you're doing this in a business, I talked about this a little bit at ABA Tech Show, and I got some people whose eyes opened real wide, is even if you're doing everything right, you have to think about your team because you're really only as strong as your weakest link, whether that's a member of your family or whether that's a member of someone on your staff or whatnot. So if if even if you have great password practices, um, if a family member does not, or if a member of your business organization does not, that's going to come back to bite you and that's going to come back to compromise you. So it, it's not, it doesn't just affect you if you don't have good, if, if you have good passwords and someone on your team doesn't, it, it's going to affect everybody. Uh, let's move on off security. Okay. Well, kind of security related, but but what about actually um, locking down control of the device, whether it's... um whether it's for kids or whether it's for, um, you know, employees or something like that. Uh, enterprise deployment have, there, there are a ton of enterprise deployment solutions now. If you're looking for something like that, that's probably the best way to move is, is to get a dedicated solution. Okay, but let's go in the family first. I, I think that um, parental controls have come a long way, both on Mac and iOS. And there's a, there's a, as a parent, you know, you have to make your own decisions and decide what's appropriate for your children. But uh, the good news is with this modern hardware, there's a lot of options for you. Not only do you have the built-in stuff, there's some thir- excellent third-party stuff out there as well. Um, uh, the uh, Another thing that we've talked about on the show uh, frequently, Katie did a screencast on it, is OpenDNS. I mean, OpenDNS allows you to govern what sites on the internet uh, that your uh, that your home network can can view or your business network. Or your business network, yeah. And um and they've got great filters, so you can set the level, you know, how high of a filter you want on there. But you know, depend what si- how high you go, you're going to block a lot of the terrible stuff on the internet from anybody in your house or business getting access to. Um, about Open DNS, there are a lot of ways that you can customize that and configure it. And you know, I have the one at my my home because it's just me, kind of configured for you know, accidental clicks and things like that. I, you know, I don't want to be taken to ad sites or potentially dangerous sites. Um, I don't want to see pornographic sites or things like that. So I've, I've blocked those. You may want to download or excuse me, upgrade those more and, and have more strict things at your host. Um, 
But people in the business realm, you know, may want to consider blocking specific sites. Um, I know one business owner who used OpenDNS to block a bunch of social media sites, and there was a small uproar at his company. Uh, but he said after that got over with, productivity skyrocketed. So there you go. Not advocating, just saying. <laughs> okay. Uh, the the other thing you want to do is get back to the the age old question on the Mac Power users of a backup. You know, um, uh, if you're helping somebody out, make sure they've got a decent backup system. And the good news is now it's so much easier than it was years ago uh, to set up a backup. And we did a whole show on this, but but I, I guess what I would focus on in setting up backup for somebody is consider the user. I mean, consider who you're dealing with. So often when I set these up for people. There are people who really aren't into this stuff and aren't going to have a regulated system. And for a lot of those folks, Time Machine, I think, is the best answer. You plug it in, they don't think about it. And and it's good enough. If something goes wrong, I can restore from Time Machine. I, I personally think that um, a, a two-step approach is important. Um, I like a combination of on-site and off-site backups. And I think there are a couple of considerations that you you have to take into consideration. Um, one is obviously the user. I, I think in many cases, there are going to be times where you're only going to get the user to do one thing, and it's going to be all you can do to get them to do just that one thing. And if that's the case, you just pick the best thing you can and you run with it. Um, but I think you also have to analyze ease of recovery, um, how fast you can be operational. I think that's particularly important in a business setting because lost time is lost money. Uh, and I think anything that you do now has to be automatic and it has to be encrypted. Yeah, I think if you're wearing the IT hat in relation to a business, time machine is not enough. No, it needs no, to be no, a no, lot no. more than that. But you make a really good point. Even if you're helping a friend who's just got a Mac in their in their living room that they want to back up, it really shouldn't be that much more difficult to get them signed up with one of the many cloud-based backup systems in addition to a time machine. So that's one of my stipulations that I put on my parents. Um, I, it was a great Christmas. I bought them all, uh, everyone in my family, a Backblaze account one year, a gift subscription to Backblaze. And then I told them they had to renew it after that. It's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> Here, here's your account. It's going to cost you 50 bucks after the first year. But um, this is my price if you want me to continue to provide you support. And uh, every year about the time in December, they come back and they say, do I really need to upgrade this? I was like, do you want me to continue helping you? Yes. Okay. It's so helpful, though, to have uh, two uh, two backups for somebody that that didn't have any before. And, th and they're going to love you for it. Well, because half the time their time machine doesn't run or it's unplugged or not, you know, whatever. You know, I know, I know that Backblaze is running. That's a good question. If you had to choose one, time machine or Backblaze, which one would it be? So it, I have an answer for this. I actually wrote a blog post on this. Oh, did you? Yeah, the answer is it depends. Because, you know, I'm a lawyer. But... um. I think if you put a gun to my head and I had to pick one, I'd choose Backblaze. But I think for because most users now are more mobile and are not using their computers solely at their desk plugged into hard drives anymore, I, I think if you have a user who has um, a Mac that's plugged in at their desk that doesn't move, a stationary Mac, I think Time Machine is great. And that's probably makes a lot of sense from a cost and convenience and ease of use standpoint. But if you have somebody with a laptop, um, I, I think back... Yeah, the, the scale tips pretty heavily when you get a laptop. As soon as you get a laptop, which which 80% of the computers that Apple sells now are laptops, um, even if they use it at their desk, but use it, you know, 
plugged in most of the time. I still think the scale tips because they unplug stuff or it gets put in a drawer and then nothing things. All they have to do is unplug it once. Yeah. yeah. Things don't quite get connected quite right. And, um, and then that's that. Yeah. That's a good point. I, I think I'd agree with you. If you had to pick one, I would probably lean towards an online solution. Uh, and, and there's also, there's the bandwidth question. There's some other questions to ask, but but in general, I think you're probably safer. But, you know, getting back to the ease of restoring, if the only backup you have is one of these cloud solutions, it's it's a big deal to get those things restored. It absolutely is. So do two. Just do two. It's not that, like we said earlier, it's just plug it in. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I think Apple does a good job of telling users my wife's um, iCloud, I'm sorry, my wife's time machine had stopped working and she got the notification. So she asked me about it and we got it fixed up for her. So yeah, do do both. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Daylight, the CRM and project management app for teams on the Mac, iPhone, and iPad. Managing your small business can be hard, and keeping the data together can be even harder. How do you coordinate calendar appointments? How do you track emails? How do you keep track of customer leads? Cobbling together software solutions to do all these things for your business gets really difficult and often things break. It's a lot better if you have one solution that can take care of all of these things for you. And that's what Daylight does. Daylight handles your customer leads. It keeps your contact database in one place where everybody can access it. It allows you to track your email and even schedule appointments. We hear from so many Mac Power users that are running their business on Daylight. And the thing I like about Daylight is the way the company has evolved. They're a long-time Mac developer, super well-respected in the community because they've been at it a long time. They've got a great bit of software here. And as the market started to move to cloud-based solutions, Daylight went along with that too. They have a solution now that manages it in the cloud. As Apple developed the iPhone and the iPad, they went along with that too as well. So their solution works across the entire Apple ecosystem, but at its root, it's an application developed by people who love the Mac. It's got a great look and feel. It's not like a lousy web app. And they keep adding features. Most recently, Daylight added TeamView. TeamView gives business owners and managers a quick overview of their team's workload. You can see everyone's tasks and appointments for the day, total duration of appointments, as well as what's on their work list, separated by each team member. This new feature allows you to manage the workload of your team, making sure everyone is busy, but not too busy. If you are managing a small to medium-sized business, you can't go wrong with Daylight. It works on the Mac, iPad, and iPhone, and gives you and your team one place to manage tasks, contacts, calendars, email, and all those other bits you need to make your business successful. Visit marketcircle.com slash daylight today to start a free 30-day trial. And don't forget to mention you heard about Daylight through the Mac Power users to get 50% off your first month subscription. Thanks, Daylight, for making a great product and supporting the Mac Power users. I like checklists, you know, when doing this kind of stuff, especially if it's somebody, like we said at the beginning of the show, you've taken on the responsibility, you're going to help them out. Uh, having a little checklist is a great idea. You could put it in Reminders app. You could uh, write it down as a text note. You could etch it in the back of your retina. It's really up to you. But uh, but what's on your checklist, Katie? Um, I have a couple things on my checklist. Every time I go, um, I... Typically every Sunday night, um, I will see my parents will do Sunday night dinner at their homes. Um, I will uh, pop in and check their Macs and make sure that their backups have run recently. And if not, I will run a backup. And then at some point, I will find a reason to grab their phones or their iPads 
and make sure that they have backed up recently to iCloud. And I will then say about once every month or so, um, I will then take their phones and plug them into um, into iTunes on their devices and and run a uh, run a manual backup. But but I think backup should be be on your list for sure. You are way better at family IT than I am. Well, I I live you know in the same town as my family, and I see them at least once a week. So. I- I live in the same house as these people and I don't do as good. I, I have an OmniFocus thing that, that fires off every six weeks. It's called family IT, you know, perform family IT. And I just go through every Mac in the house to make sure that it's backing up wherever it's supposed to be backing up. And um, I don't uh, repair disk every six weeks, but I do that, you know, about every six months or so. And um, if there's a problem, I'll run maintenance scripts, but I don't do them automatically. So I, I, um, I'm not nearly as good at this as you are. I think everybody should hire Katie instead of me. Yeah, I I have a running OmniFocus task. I mean, I do I do backups every time, or I check backups every time, um, and then I do things like App Store updates because sometimes they don't always run, even though I've got them set to run in the app background. I'll do the App Store updates, and then I'll also do software updates. Maybe not every week, but at least once a month or so. And if I know of a of a security update that's come out, I'll go and I'll run those. Um, but then every six months, and I do this for myself too, but, um, I, I will do a more in-depth maintenance, which pretty much these days just consists of running Onyx, um, which will run all those maintenance scripts, um, you know, do all of those types of things. And also what I do on that six month visit, um, and sometimes I do that during the day when they're all gone, I like sneak into the house and do it cause it's quiet and I can get it done. Um, I'll like take my lunch over to their house and, and do it. Is that? Is that breaking and entering? I don't think so. No, I think it's breaking and fixing. I think it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I will, um, I will then do what I, you know, you know, I have my, my famous shelf backup. Um, I, I have those for my family members as well. And they may not even know they exist. Like my mom has a hard drive in her desk drawer and I'll go and I'll plug those in to her machine and just uh, run carbon copy cloner and let those update. That's nice. That's nice. But you, you are better at it than I'm because I, I don't do it as frequently, but you know, knock on wood, we haven't had any problems yet. And I've got a good backup mechanism. And, and for my extended family that doesn't live with me, it's even worse. I, I check their, um, I check their backups. I check that their backups have happened when we get together, but you know, just, just have to be a family event and then I'll fix whatever little problem they have. But it's kind of funny to me. I have certain family members that are super anal about it. And when they know they're going to meet me, they like, they, they run all the updates beat right before they meet me and they clean the desktop. Like I'm going to judge them something. I don't know why people would do that. It's okay. It's less work for you. So that works. That's good. Yeah, exactly. Um, what about support when you're not there or when you're not around? Um, one of the things that I think is important to do, especially if you don't live with your family that you support, um, is you can't always just grab the machine and help the problem. Sometimes you get the call from your sister or or another family member who, you know, lives across town or lives in another state that something bad has happened. Uh, if you can be proactive about that, it can be a lot easier to help troubleshoot. Yeah, and it's super easy anymore, especially on a Mac, because the iMessage screen, uh, screen sharing is right there. You don't even have to really have anything installed. Yeah, I think the the preferred way to do this now is to make sure that um, you have iMessage set up, that you're a buddy, buddy, I guess you don't have to be a buddy, you should be in their address book, um, and iMessage, and that you have screen sharing set up in iMessage, and that's great. Um, the other services that you can use, um, TeamViewer, some people like, and uh, Join.me are options as well. I was going to say for my own personal remote access, I use screens. 
Like when I'm traveling, like I've got a Mac mini here at the house that I will remote access into to, um, you know, like grab shows off the TiVo or, or do something like that. Although I now have a TiVo stream, so I don't know what I'm going to do anymore with it. But just to see what's going on, I'll remote access into it from time to time. And um, screens will do that. That's super helpful. I use screens too. Uh, it's very helpful. The iPad app is really powerful. Like one of the things I use it for is I've got a bunch of stuff on my iMac, you know, some client stuff that, that doesn't go on the cloud and doesn't go out there. So if I need access to it, I can VPN with screens and I can get access to whatever I need remotely on the iMac. We talked about uh, teaching a man to fish versus giving them a fish. What are some ways we can teach somebody to fish? Uh, one of my favorite places for Mac users to learn how to fish is at our good friend Don McAllister's Screencast Online. Um, I, I think that is one of the best tutorials for, for Mac users and best tutorials for um, for new Mac users. And the thing about Don is it, it keeps on giving. He, when you subscribe, you get access to his entire back catalog. And Don's been doing this for years now and years of either one or two tutorials a month. He's got hundreds and hundreds of tutorials um, available on the Screencast Online website. So, I mean, you can find a screencast on just about anything. Another way, if you don't want to subscribe directly, um, is he does a monthly magazine, which you and I both write for. He also has that great Liverpool accent. Oh, I, yeah, that's I, great. Sometimes I, I'm teaching Daisy something and she'll say, does Don have a screencast for this? <laughs> I'm like, well, don't you want me to teach you? She's like, well, Don sounds better than you do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and believe me, you want Don to teach your people rather than you because he'll do it better. And the the annoyance factor is gone. Um, but Don also has an app for um, a, a newsletter app that are a magazine app that's that's free for subscribers or included in your subscription for subscribers. Or I think you can get it separate. I think you can get it separately on the app store. But it's kind of like the best of his um, tutorials for the for the month. Plus, um, you know, plus some articles by some really cool people. And then there's Lynda.com, which is a monthly subscription as well. They've got some great stuff, just lots and lots of content. I'm one of their authors. I've done one. Actually, I've done two books for them. Or two video series for them. I know you did the OmniFocus one. What was the other one? Uh, I did two. It was OmniFocus for Mac was one, and OmniFocus for for iOS was the other one. Um, also, I wouldn't uh, count out uh, going to your Apple Store. I mean, I was just in the Apple Store recently, and they were giving a class on the Photos app, and I was watching the content, and it was pretty high end stuff. I mean, it was it was very hands on and and well taught. I think it, it's kind of hit and miss depending on who's teaching the class, but they're. There's some great uh, folks working for Apple uh, teaching some of this content. Yeah, the other thing is don't discount that there are probably some local resources around you too. Um, although my local mug disbanded, um, there are still local mugs around and, and you can find resources with that. I think you can still find them. Chuck Joyner runs the Mug Center, um, so you can find them there. Or I think Apple still keeps a directory of mugs, but I'm not sure how updated it is. Um, and our senior center offers several weekly technology classes and they are some of the best attended classes at the senior center. They offer yoga and, you know, um, you know, shuffleboard and all kinds of things, but the tech classes are actually the best attended. Um, we talked about this on some of the recent security content we've done on the show, but I think it's worth restating when you're helping somebody out with it, there's a good chance they're not as savvy to some of the craziness on the internet. So uh, talk to them a little bit about phishing and, you know, and the types of emails and requests they're going to get or those pop ups they get in Safari where it says, oh, you have a problem with your computer. Call this 800 number so we can take care of your tech support right now. You know, 
the people are terrible. Some of these people doing this. I just got one today that that was very. It was written in a very believable fashion because one of the ways I get paid through some of the stuff I do is through Stripe, and it somehow they got a list of people that are Stripe users, I guess, and was telling me that they're going to have to shut down my account because. Um, you know, there was a problem with it and they can't send money to me anymore. But if I just click this link and enter my account information, they'll, they'll fix it for me, you know? Um, and it, it looked like it came from Stripe, but I knew immediately knew it was phishing just, just by the basis of it. Uh, but, but the people you're working with won't know that and they do get stung by those every day. So, so help them out. Yeah. I mean, the scammers wouldn't do this if it didn't work. Okay. Real quick before we leave, um, a couple war stories for you. What, you know, what's the worst and the best things that have ever happened for you uh, serving as IT for family, friends, and coworkers? Mm, well, I think I kind of told you the the mistake that I made at my, my job earlier, kind of being known as, you know, not just the attorney, but also the tech person. And I really do think that hurt my career. Um, so I think that was, I don't know if that's a war story, but that was, that was definitely a, a mistake that I made. Um, you know, one of the, one of the worst IT things that I um I I did is uh, Christmas Day, my dad dropped his MacBook, and um my Mac MacBook Pro, his MacBook Pro was it brand new or was no it-, it was not it was not brand new but it was one of those things where he was um you know he was pulled it out of the case and he just he just dropped it and um there went we I got it back up I we we replaced the hard drive and kind of pulled out the dents and some few other things and um but man that was uh. There goes Christmas. That was the rest of the day because, you know, he was mad and he was upset and he was, you know, I just dropped this $2,500 computer and. Um, one, of, one of my daughter's friends once put his, uh, he, he was at school and he put his MacBook Air in his backpack, but he didn't zip up the top and he put it on quickly. He like flung it up on his shoulder and the MacBook Air became a MacBook Air. It it literally flew out. Came the, airborne, yeah. Yeah, and, and it landed on the corner, and uh, and we got it working for him. But uh, it just it, he was very lucky the way it landed. What about your best story? What's the best thing ever happened to you with the giving family text? I mean, you you feel like a hero sometimes, right? Well, the MacBook Pro survived. I brought it back. It didn't quite look the same, but it came back. Yeah, I I, I want some. Probably the best one for me was when my niece called me. She was getting her master's and she lost her paper. Like the something went wrong and she didn't save it right and then panicked and blah, blah, blah. And uh, because I had set up a Dropbox account, she was working at a Dropbox without really knowing it. I was able to restore it from Dropbox and and she loves me so much. That was years ago. That's probably my best one, but, but I've also saved people's photo libraries with disc warrior. I mean, there is some reward to helping people out with this stuff. Yeah. They're good stories. They're great stories. If you can save somebody's photos or their memories or bring their stuff back, but, um, but being proactive really helps. All right. So uh, I bet you and I are not the only um, unofficial official IT people out there listening to this show. So we'd love to hear your feedback on this. Send us an audio comment, drop an email, send us some Twitter. Katie's at Katie Floyd. I'm at Max Barkey. We're at Mac Power Users. Or even go to the Facebook group. Let us know what you're thinking. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and David, this will be the last time that we record for a while because I'm getting ready to get on a boat. But uh, the listeners will never know because we got a whole slew of shows lined up for them. I, I'm totally bummed because K- Katie's going to be out of town for, was it two, three weeks now? It's going to be three weeks, I think, until we record again. 
I, um, the weekly recording of Mac Power Users for me is like my therapy. I love doing this show. So now I don't, I think I'm just going to sit in my, uh, my little office here. Just sit in your chair, <laughs> just sit in your chair and wait for me. I'll be back in three weeks in a day. I'll just, I'll just pull the mic out and I'll pretend like I'm making a Mac Power Users episode once a week. You know, why not? Thanks to our sponsors, Jamf, Samebox, Smile and Daylight, and we will see you all next week. <laughs>